So today's message is in Psalm 45, on page 471 in the Bible around the room. I'll be reading in Portuguese today as a representation of the diversity of the people of God because we're all created in His image and all languages and races are beautiful. At the end of the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord and we'll all say thanks be to God because we are thankful for the word that God gave us for, our, for us to follow in our footsteps. Cântico dos Descendentes de Coré Segundo a Melodia dos Lírios Cântico de Amor para o Diretor do Coro O meu coração transborda de boas intenções. Escrevi um belo poema para o rei. Vou expressar como faria o mais hábil escritor. Tu és o mais belo de todos. As tuas palavras estão cheias de beleza. Deus te abençoa para sempre. Arma-te, ó valente, com as armas da tua glória e da tua majestade. E nesse esplendor avança para a vitória, defendendo a verdade, a paz, a justiça. A tua própria capacidade levará a realizações assombrosas. Ferirás certeiramente o coração dos teus inimigos e assim subjugarás povos inteiros. O teu trono, ó Deus, durará para sempre. A justiça é aquilo que faz a força do teu reino. Tu amas a justiça e aborreces o mal. Por isso Deus, o teu Deus, derramou sobre ti mais alegria do que sobre os teus companheiros. As tuas vestes são perfumadas com mirra, aloés e cássia. Nos teus palácios, belamente decorados de marfim, toca-se música para o teu prazer. Entre as mulheres ilustres da tua corte estão até filhas de reis. Ao teu lado está a rainha, com as suas joias do mais puro ouro de Ofir. Ouve, minha filha, com atenção. Não te lamentes por causa da tua família e da pátria distante que deixaste. O rei ficará preso à tua formosura. Reverencia-o, pois é teu senhor. O povo de Tiro virá oferecer-te abundantes presentes. E os seus nobres mais ricos suplicarão favores da tua parte. A noiva é uma princesa. Espera dentro dos seus aposentos, vestida de roupas tecidas com ouro. Será depois conduzida até o rei, encantadora nos seus vestidos de ricos bordados, acompanhada das donzelas em cortejo de honra e no meio da alegria e prazer. Assim entrarão no palácio do rei. Os seus filhos um dia serão reis, à semelhança do seu próprio pai, e serão chefes de povos por toda a terra. Eu farei que o teu nome seja bem comemorado, por todas as gerações, e as nações da terra te louvarão para sempre. Let us pray. Oh, I forgot to say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And yes, now let us pray. We pray, God, for 
our hearts, minds, and ears to be open to the loving message you have for us today. May we allow ourselves to be permeated by His Holy Spirit's soft whisper. And may we trust in God to do a righty work, mighty work within ourselves and His mighty word. We do trust that you are in control of our beings, so I pray for Taylor as he expands on today's reading for us. May we all learn together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, this is probably the first for a lot of you guys, right? See uh, a cripple preaching up here. Um, I didn't really know how this was going to go, so we'll see. I think this is God's way of keeping me behind the pulpit as opposed to walking around everywhere like I I tend to. So, well, welcome to church. My name is Taylor. Um, I am a member here at this church and have been for, for two years now, and I am thoroughly just grateful to be part of this community, um, and it's an honor to be up here this morning getting to, to speak to you guys and getting to share from the word of, of our God. Um, among other things, I also work at the church. I am the leader of student ministries. That's middle school and high school, and then I just do a bunch of random tasks other than that. <laughs> um, no, but it's really good to be with you guys. Um, when Kyle first gave me this psalm, I kind of thought it was a joke. It's like, dude, this is, this is weird. Like, this is the first thing that I have to preach on at Living Stones. You got to be kidding me. And he's, he didn't even know what it was. He's like, what is it? And we read it. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't a joke. Uh, but as I started wrestling with it, knowing that all of Scripture is breathed by God and has authority, I was really looking forward to seeing how God is going to speak to us this morning through such a, a sort of culturally different psalm. Um, and God started speaking. Um, first and foremost, this psalm, uh, it's, a, it's a psalm about uh, an engaged couple. They're about to get married, a king and his bride. Um, and it's really cool because for those of you that, that know me, something big in my life right now is I just got engaged in May. And you'll see, oh, that's, that's my beautiful, lovely fiance, Caroline. Um, thank you. And man, she's such a blessing. We're getting married in November, and I can really relate to, this is a love song. Like, I get that. And something that I've learned as I I date Caroline, as I'm engaged to her now, um, there was one day, it was like two months into dating her, where I just felt weird, like heavy, anxious, and I was like, what is this? And I realized, I think I miss her. I think this is the first, I think this is what missing a person feels like I've never felt that before. Um, And God has taught me through this experience, like, yeah, you miss her because I want you to understand how I miss you. And I've learned, like, as I just want to hear from her every day, God wants to hear from me every day. That's why I have that desire. As I just want to know what's in her heart, what she's praying about, what's hurting her, what's bringing her joy, that's because that's what God wants with me, with us. Every day he wants to hear from us. See, marriage and the relationship between a man and a woman was established and ordained by God with the purpose of teaching us about the relationship that he desires to have with us. 
So as we miss the other person, it's because God is teaching us about how he misses us and his love for us. So as we dive into this psalm today, let's, let's keep that in mind, that, that this psalm is God trying to teach us about his love for us and the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us. Throughout the Bible, um, God illustrates the type of intimate relationship he wants to have with us through marriage. Okay? Um, Nextly, as we get into this, we get into this psalm, like just in verse one, the, the title of the psalm gives us some clues that I think we need to look at. It says, to the choir master, according to the lilies. That's probably like a certain harmony or kind of tune that they're supposed to play the song to. A mascal of the sons of Korah, a love song. It's easy to read this psalm and think that it's talking about Solomon or some other Israeli uh, Jewish king and, and his bride. But the fact that this psalm was written by the sons of Korah tells us otherwise. See, the sons of Korah were a group of Levites that were set aside by God to create amazing music for the worship of God in the nation of Israel. So this is not a song just about some Middle Eastern king. 3,000 years ago or something. This is a song about God. This is a psalm about Jesus and his bride, which is you and me, his church, his chosen people. This is a love song between God and us. So that's how we're reading this this morning. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, some here see Solomon and Pharaoh's daughter only. They are short-sighted. Others see both Solomon and Christ. They are cross-eyed. Well-focused spiritual eyes see here Jesus only. So this morning, we're going to be looking for Jesus. So let's get into it. Verse 1. And in case you don't have Bibles or they're not open, this is page 471 in the the black Bibles around the room. And you can totally take one of those home if you don't have a Bible or you just think these are pretty and you need a new one. Um, go ahead and take that. Uh, verse one, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. My first question here was, why is his heart over, overflowing with a pleasing theme? He's talking about a king. What's good news about a king? Out here in the West, we don't, we don't like kings. Like, I see people walking out with the t-shirts that have the snake and they say, don't, don't tread on me. Like, no, you don't get up in my business. You don't tell me how to live my life. I'm from America, okay? We got rid of kings a long time ago. And more so, I'm from Nevada. Like, you don't tell me what to do. And that's how we are here, right? And that's not all that bad. I mean, if you think about it, kings, they carry a lot of bad history, beheadings, uh, religious oppression, all sorts of types of oppression, unjust war, just to name a few. Kings are responsible for some of the worst history on earth. Uh, But in Israel, which is the context of, of this psalm, a king was a good thing. And we need to understand that. Because in Israel, the entire religion, the Jewish religion and the nation of Israel was founded 
on the promise that God was going to make the broken things unbroken, send a savior to make things unbroken, and then he would also stay as a king to oversee that kingdom and make sure things don't get broken again. So this king represented peace. He was to bring peace. He was to bring prosperity. He was to bring happiness, and he was to maintain that. Now, that's good news. It's hard for us to believe that because we know politicians and we know kings and we know that they don't do that, right? Um, and for us, it's, it's, it's hard for us to relate to this king uh, being good news, but the word that, the, that they used in, in Hebrew was Messiah. Messiah was the word that they had for this, this person who was promised since the very beginning, the third chapter of the Bible, God promised him, and he was the Messiah, which meant Savior, King, or we can also translate to the one. They were waiting for the one. We understand this. We in our culture are also waiting for the one, usually in a person. Usually in a person. If there's one thing that our culture lifts up more than anything, more than money, more than entertainment, it's romance. This is what we sell. Finding the right one to complete you. The Messiah of your life, if you will, to, to usher in peace and prosperity and, and joy, happiness. And we, we look outside of ourselves oftentimes for this person. And if you don't believe me, I mean, you guys ever heard of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette? You heard of that show? All right. You're probably not going to believe me. There are 23 seasons of The Bachelor, 15 seasons of The Bachelorette, and six spinoff seasons. The entire premise of this show is this one person having a selection of lovers, mates, and finding the one, the real fit. They're going to make everything better. We eat it up. That's like close to 40 seasons of this stuff. And maybe you're like me and you hate reality TV. Like, I won't even watch it with Caroline and I love her. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> movies, music, books. I like to read. How about the Hunger Games? Peter or Gail? Who's the one? Right? <laughs> Twilight. I know every girl and probably half of the dudes ashamed in this room have read Twilight, and it's all the same. You know, Disney movies, it's about the right guy or girl coming in to save the day. It's the one, and it is not bad, but we need to recognize this is how our hearts have been trained to live, to seek. We are seeking the one. The Jews were seeking the one king. We are seeking the one in a romantic sense in our culture. And if you still don't agree with me, you're like, I'm not doing that. I would argue because you don't even have the sense to look outside yourself for the one. You look to yourself for the one. We're all looking for the one. And if you don't even have the sense to look outside yourself, it's because you're looking in. All right. Um, but regardless, we're all looking for the one. And what I want us to get today as we continue in the text is that it matters who the one is. Because there is only one. This is what we need to know. It matters who the one is because there is only one. Romans 6 says, whatever you give yourself over to, you become a slave to. That becomes your master. 
the, the thing you give yourself over to. Jesus says in another place, he says in Matthew 6, that you can only have one master, either God or money. Our hearts can only give themselves over to one thing. So who the one is matters because there is only one. So let's be careful who that is. I've also heard it said, and you guys can probably agree with me, we've all heard the cliche saying, oh, we all want to be loved. How many of you have heard that? We all want to be loved, right? I would argue, yes, we all want to be loved, but we care who we're loved by. Who the one is matters. See, a father's love. How many people have daddy issues, right? We got daddy issues. There's a girl who might date 15 guys and they're all in healthy relationships and they're all the same cookie cutter guy because they're just like her dad and she just wants to be loved by her father because a father's love carries more weight than most other loves. Or a a guy could work his whole life trying to be successful to impress his father because he just wants his father's love. We care who we're loved by, okay? All right, Uh, but this psalm, the psalmist is saying we should care, and I'm telling you who the one is, it's the king. So let's keep reading. Verse two, you are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. There are a lot of great humans out there, a lot of beautiful humans out there. Um, But just like we talked about in our confession, all are flawed. We might be pretty on the outside, but we are ugly on the inside. And you don't believe me, go hang out with some kids. Like I work with kids. Many of you have infants and they're so cute, but then once they can walk or once they can talk, it's pure destruction, right? (laughs) And they're just out for themselves. And as we grow, we're just good at wearing masks and covering that up, kind of modifying the behavior. And if, if you still don't believe me, how much does it stink sometimes to go home to yourself? We don't like going home to ourselves because we're not that great of people. We're all flawed. But here the psalmist says, you are the most handsome of the sons of men, this King, Jesus, because like it says in Colossians 2.9, in Christ, all the fullness or all the glory of God lives in a human body. See, Jesus was selfless, self-giving, unflawed, unbroken, not bent on doing wrong, but doing God's will. This is what makes him beautiful. He is the most handsome of all the sons of men, of all humans, Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. It's because of his perfection, his character, that God has blessed him forever because he is worthy. Amen? All right, verse three. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. In your splendor and majesty, In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Here we see an image of a warrior, a soldier, a mighty warrior. And when we first look at Jesus, a lot of us don't see that. A lot of times we see Jesus as a good teacher or a a pacifist who got murdered, right? But Jesus is a warrior. 
And we need to recognize this. This is talking about Jesus. How, you might ask, how is he a warrior? He came to this earth on a one-man rescue mission. Laying down his life so that we might have life. He came knowing it was a battle that he would wage against an enemy that we could not fight. And he came knowing that in order to win the war, it would cost him his life. He knew that. There is no greater soldier, there is no greater warrior than the man who goes into battle knowing he will die, but going to accomplish the mission. Jesus went obediently, sent by the Father, knowing he would die to defeat our enemy on our behalf. He is the one. Who else has done this for you? Years ago, there was a story about uh, a family, a dad and his two sons, and they went rock climbing, and something went terribly wrong, and they ended up all kind of dangling from the same rope, all three of them, and the rope was going to break, and they didn't know who was going to rescue them, and the father cut himself and fell to his death. That's not passive. That's active fighting. And that is what Jesus has done for us. He actively, not passively, came and literally took the fall for us. It says here, it says, verse 5, your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. Jesus stuck a heart, or an arrow in the heart of our enemy with his death. Through nails in his hands, there was an arrow that was placed through the heart of our enemy. Jesus is a soldier. He is a protector. And he is the one. And he shows us his true strength in this. I, I read a book years ago. Uh, it's one of, I think it's one of the most translated books in, on earth. It's called the, the Art of War by Sun Tzu. He's a famous uh, Chinese general years ago, and it's basically wisdom and strategy. Something he says in it has always stuck out to me. He says, appear weak when you are strong, and strong when you are weak. So he's saying true strength shows itself in weakness or in meekness, like it says here in verse 4, for the cause of truth and meekness. True strength is shown through weakness, but weakness fakes strength. We see that in bullies. The bully wants to act like the strong one, but he's picking on the little kid. He's fainting strength because he's more insecure. He's the weak one. The strong one in a relationship when your husband or wife snaps at you and you keep your mouth shut and show grace, that is strength, that's not weakness. And in the same way, Jesus shows us strength, not weakness in his silence. He is a strong warrior. He was led to the slaughter. He did not defend himself. He stayed quiet. He was nailed to the cross. And he did not get himself off. He did not curse anyone. He stayed weak and quiet. That is his strength. Jesus is the one. And it matters who the one is because there is only one. Verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory places, stringed instruments make you glad. 
Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. It seems in verse 6 like the author is changing subjects, right? Like we're talking about the king and now you're talking about God, right? He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Well, no, it's the same person. This king is God. And that's the unique thing about Jesus is he is fully man and fully God. And this is good news because this warrior king that we're talking about, his love for us never ends. His throne never ends. It says right here that um, verse 7, yeah, beyond your companions, your, king, your throne is forever. Like, he, his love never ends. His protection never ends for us. Loves come and go. Things change in our lives. But Jesus is always with us. And this is good news for us. And this is good news because we will be with him as his bride forever in eternity. Amen? Verse 8 says, Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory places, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. If we just look at the nouns alone in this, it's, it paints an interesting picture for us. Robes, myrrh, aloes, cassia. These are expensive fragrances that needed to be imported from places like as far away as Sri Lanka, which means they had to be put on a boat, taken across a sea, put on like a camel, walked across a desert, on a mule, over mountains. Like there was no Amazon Prime. There wasn't even snail mail. So the cost of shipping was incredibly expensive. Only the most wealthy and the most powerful people had these things. Uh, so what, and as we keep looking, we see ivory, stringed instruments. We see the word queen and gold, daughters of kings. What the psalmist is doing here is he's painting a picture for us. He's illustrating the the prosperity and the power of King Jesus. This reminds me of my, one of my favorite movies. It's originally a book by the French author Alexandre Dumas. It's called The Count of Monte Cristo. Love it. Um, and in this, in this movie, what happens is this guy, he's unjustly charged with a crime, put in a prison that's like Guantanamo Bay, like you just forget about those people. He's left there for 14 years. He ends up escaping, spoiler alert, finding treasure, and he goes to rescue his, his, his woman, his long-lost love. But he has to do it in kind of a sneaky way, and so he infiltrates uh, her, her people, and they're all the wealthiest people of all of France, like the 1%. And he makes this entrance on a hot air balloon with dancers coming down in flames, and all of the most wealthy, most powerful people of the nation are gawking at this guy like, who is he? This is a picture of Jesus. Who is this guy? This is why in Revelation, he's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because daughters of kings are in his presence, because the most powerful people are gawking at him. He is the one. 
He is our, our warrior. He is our lover. He is, he is our God who reigns forever. And he has prestige. He has prestige. So what, is, what does this mean for us? Well, if we choose to make this guy, this God-man, the one in our lives, instead of looking to your spouse or looking to uh, somebody else, your fiance, your girlfriend, your secret crush, instead of looking to that person, if we choose to make Jesus the one, what does that mean for us? Let's look at verse 10. I'm very thirsty. Crutching is exercise, let me tell you. Um, Hear, O daughter, and consider... And incline your ear. Forget your people in your father's house. And the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts. The richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber. With robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. I told you earlier that the bride is an illustration of us, God's church. So as a dude, looking at this, I'm like, I don't really want to like be wearing a pretty robe and this like man to think I'm beautiful. But, <clears throat> but it's actually a beautiful illustration if we look deeper. And there are five things that I want us to look at in these verses. The first one is it says, hear, O daughter, and consider. Incline your ear. The psalmist is saying, hey, listen up. Listen, consider what I am telling you. There is only one. So who it is matters. I'm telling you it's the king. Listen and consider that fact. We need to hear that. You, you probably ask yourself, you're saying, choose, choose him. Consider this. And then uh, in verse, farther down in verse 10, it says, forget your people in your father's house. Sometimes we got to leave things behind. And that's the hard part. Uh, that's the, the heavy part of the gospel message. See, God loves you. Jesus came and he died for you, purchasing you with his blood. We want that love. We want salvation. We want forgiveness of sins. But God wants so much more. He wants relationship. And so oftentimes we have to leave things behind. See, Messiah, the one, isn't just Savior, but it's also King, which means he rules over your life. And this we don't like to hear. As Christians, uh, it's, it's very hard for us. We want the grace. We want the love, but we don't want to be told what to do. But isn't that real love? See, in our culture nowadays, a lot of people don't get married. If I wasn't Christian, I would probably just be living with Caroline, my fiance. We wouldn't get engaged. Why get married? Why? But here's the point of marriage is commitment. Commitment, choosing, and saying, no matter what, I'm with you. 
And no matter what, you're with me. And that's where relationship starts to form because there's safety. You can invest. You can give yourself over. And so if you're asking yourself, why don't I hear from God? Where is God in my life? I just don't feel him. Maybe it's because you have not yet decided to leave behind your father's house. You have not yet decided to leave behind your life and the things that you count as so precious. This queen, we don't know much about her life, but I guarantee you that being with this king, belonging to him is far better than anything she had before. Leave behind what that is. And I can't tell you what that is, but you can. Ask yourself the question, what's getting in the way of me and God being closer? Repent of that. Choose to have a relationship with God beyond just using him for salvation and your own selfish gain. God is a God of love. He will fulfill you. He will love you all the days of your life. He will protect you. He will provide. He will serve, for, serve you. He will fight for you. He will listen to you all the days of your life. You are missing out if you put it off another day. Repent. Third, there is nothing about this bride that makes her remarkable on her own, right? Like if we look at this text, okay, it says that uh, the king will desire her beauty. So I guess the king thinks she's beautiful. Um, People will want her favor, but these are all future things. This is if she belongs to the king. If she belongs to the king. On her own, nobody's desiring her favor. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. Culturally, the king dressed her in that robe. The king gave that to her to wear. She's not remarkable on her own. She's remarkable because of who the king is and who she belongs to. And we need to hear this because we think we're remarkable on our own or we want to be. And we think that if we're not remarkable on our own, then there's something wrong with us. That's not true. We're all trying to be remarkable on our own. And I see that all the time, like social media. My generation is the worst. It is a competition of who can stand out, who can be remarkable on their own, who has the more exciting, more interesting life, Who's got more friends? Who's got cooler pictures they're posting on their Instagram feed? And maybe you're like, I don't use social media. Where I I bet you you're trying to stand out with the money you make, the car you drive, the job you have. You compare yourself to other people. I make more money than him, I stand out. Oh, I look better than, I stand out. We're all trying to stand out. The good news is you don't have to stand out. And it's not you that makes you remarkable. Because if you die today, if I die today, things go on the same. Nothing really changes. Welcome to church, as we like to say at Living Stones. Like, (laughs) we'll miss you. People will miss you. People will love you. People still got to go to work. Still got to cook food. Still got to eat. Still got to live their life. We don't matter on our own. But yet you matter so much. You matter. You are valued at the blood of Christ. That is your value. So you on your own don't matter. But the fact that Jesus said, 
You're worth something. Know what you're worth? My life. What higher price is there? What greater value could we ascribe to any one thing than the blood of Jesus? That's what you're worth. Who the one is matters. Because there's only one. So choose wisely. I think it's really cool that it says, um, forget your people and your father's house. And then in verse 11, it says, and the king will desire your beauty. The king will desire you. Desire means want. Like Jesus wants you. I, I grew up kind of feeling like Jesus loves me out of pity. Kind of like you love or you care for a, a homeless person or a person in need or who's struggling going through something. But to like me? To want me? That's a different story, but it's the truth. Jesus wants you and he likes you. He's painting the, uh, this is a love song written for you. This is poetry written for you. He's calling you into the closest, most intimate relationship ever. That of a friend and a lover. He wants you. And finally, something I find really cool in these verses is that everything that that this queen has, this bride has, comes from the king. We already talked about the robe comes from the king. The favor of the richest, most wealthiest people of Tyre, which was a city of prestige like Milan or something like that. Like everything that this queen has comes from the king. And that's love. See, being with Caroline, we're not even married yet, but the natural response of love is everything I have, it's yours. Take it. I want you to have it, everything. I don't have a lot, so basically it's like, here, Caroline, like you can take my car, because I like that. Um, and yes, you can have the chunks of cookie dough in the half-baked ice cream. That's fine. But I don't have a lot to give her other than that. But everything I do have, I want to give her because I love her. And I always want more to give her. That's God's heart for you. But he's not a broke 27-year-old dude. He's the king of the universe, the creator of all things. All the cattle on the hillside belong to him. Everything in the universe belongs to him and is under his authority. Amen? So he has an entire kingdom he wants to give you. Life everlasting he wants to give you. A family he wants to give you. Forgiveness, grace, joy, purpose. He wants to give everything to you. So, there is only one. Choose wisely. Verse 16. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. It's all about the king. And so the psalmist just directs us, we're going to wrap this psalm up 
looking at the king because he's who matters. And he is the one who is worthy for nations to sing his praise forever and ever. He is the one. Nobody else. Think of the person in your mind right now that maybe you've been putting in that place. You've been looking, uh, even if it's yourself. Maybe you've been looking to yourself. That's what I tend to do. Now, place that person up against the image of this king. Only Jesus is worthy of praise. Only Jesus is worthy of your heart. And so what do we do with this? Like, what does this mean for us? How do we go on living after being uh, told this message or uh, God sharing his proposal with us? Well, first and foremost, I would say this. Say yes. You've been looking for the one. We all have. Well, guess what? You found it. You're here at church this morning for a reason. We're going over this for a reason. We're all looking for the one. And maybe you ha- you've been a Christian for a while. You know Jesus. But something has replaced that top spot in your life. You've been looking for the one. You found it. So say yes. This is Jesus with a ring proposing, saying, be mine. When I proposed to Caroline, she was really witty. And she kind of smiled and she's like, I'll think about it. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Just say yes. Um, Because you're torturing the guy who's asking. No, but seriously, Jesus has been knocking at your door. Say yes. You're not going to find anybody more beautiful, more glorious, more lovely, more for you than him. You're not going to find anybody who's already laid their life down for you who already decided that you were worth loving to the point of death. You might imagine that your person is that. Your person is not the one, and you are not the one for your person. It's Christ. So with that, uh, stop making other people earn your love. That's another application point. Jesus has freely given us his love. Not once we became lovely, Not once we rose to his status. He has just freely given us his love. So stop waiting for people to love you the right way until you love them. Jesus is not waiting for you to love him perfectly for him to pour his love out on you. So stop doing that. Stop doing that with your spouse, fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever that is. You've been freely given love, so freely love. And stop trying to earn other people's love. You have the one. It's slavery. Like, I'm a people pleaser. It is such slavery trying to get people to love you all the time. And this text is such good news to me because I have one. The one. And he's greater than everybody else. And so, even when I'm not loved the way I want by the people who are dearest to me, I have the one, and I don't need to worry about earning their love because I've already been given all the love that I need, and you can have the same. Stop trying to change the person you're with. In the beginning, the romance stage, we're all just floored about this person, right? Like, they are amazing, and they are. 
But then I, I know and I haven't been there where you get married and then you're like, oh, okay, they're human like me. What was I thinking looking to this person? Like, they're just like me. And then you're like, that's not good because my whole plan was them to be, you know, to, to, to make things better. So I better improve them so that they become this person. Stop it. That's not fair. They will never, they will never be that person for you. And what if they did that to you? What if they were changing you? You're not that person for them either. There's freedom in that. Yeah. All right? We're loved the way we are by God, and we can love each other the way we are because we are loved perfectly by God. Okay? Um, so with that, let us pray. God, thank you for telling us about your love. Thank you for wanting to fulfill our hearts, deepest desires of being loved, of belonging, of safety and security and feeling important. You make us feel important. You make us actually important in reality. And we have been looking for you our whole lives. I ask that we never stop seeking you out, that we never stop repenting, and that as we put things first in our lives over you, that we would be quick to repent, God. Have mercy on us. Grow us in intimacy with you. And may we be a church that is totally in love with you, putting you first above all things and seeing the fruit of our obedience. Amen.